As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your Ohio State podcast on The Athletic. Bill Landis joined as always by Ari Wasserman. Ari, it's a huge week because Boise State and BYU play on Friday night. Clemson and Notre Dame play on Saturday night. Maction's back this week. Huge week of college football, and we get blessed with Ohio State versus Rutgers on Saturday night in Ohio Stadium on Big Ten Network. What's that game do for you? This is under the lights give you the juice that you need for this one? Why do they always play Rutgers at night? <laughs> I feel like this is like the third time they've played it under the lights. I think there's something about like every team gets a spin on a night game on BTN. Oh, and then they like use that, Ohio so. State's built-in ratings as a way of like covering up how terrible the ratings would be if yeah. Ohio State wasn't involved in it. Is that the is that the play there? Right. I think that I think that's the general idea. Um, doesn't do much though. Do you think that Clemson is going to absolutely murder Notre Dame this weekend? Yep. I do too. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't leave it. What's okay, we'll get to the on? Ohio State podcast, uh, <laughs> but I like looked at the spread and it was five points, and it just like where I like went to my girlfriend's safety deposit box to see if I could find the D door house. And I couldn't find it. But <laughs> I don't I think know if I'm going to win by at least seven. I don't know if I said this on this podcast or said it to you or I don't know. I said it to somebody. I might have said it to Andy Staples. Uh, right as uh, DJ Uyangalale was running into the end zone at the start of the second half against Boston College, and it was apparent that they were going to win that game, I said to myself, I don't care what the spread is next week, I, w- I would bet Clemson to beat Notre Dame. With a full week of practice? Yeah. I mean, I think it's like funny because people like view Clemson as this wounded duck right now, 
and it's like that kid would start on 60 other Power 5 teams right now. Yeah. And it's just kind of a nice segue and reminder of how deep these teams are that we are comparing Ohio State to all the time. Um, <laughs> that kid's man. good. He's like uh, yeah. he's like Polynesian he? Roethlisberger. <laughs> I, heard the, I heard a comparison to Demarcus Russell. <laughs> yeah. LSU Demarcus, not Raiders Demarcus. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, the, the spread for Ohio State Rutgers opened at 37. I, I see it at 38. Have you seen a balloon anywhere? I thought that might go up like considerably. We're recording this on Wednesday night, and I think it's still at 38. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't even know how to begin. Like I got passionate the last two weeks about where I would bet Ohio State, and I don't know on this one. And I, I'm sure we'll get to the prediction at the end. And I, I think that Ryan Day's passion for running the score up matters, and I don't know that he would want to do that to Greg Schiano. Uh, they're friends. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just think it's like 38 is, what, what, 52 to 10 maybe would be the nice round number. But even then you're sweating. Like, I don't, I don't know that they're going to score 70 points this week. And Rutgers doesn't have a terrible, terrible, terrible offense. And, you know, I don't know. I'm so confused, man. Last week's results in the Big Ten, like, have completely messed up my entire viewpoint of, like, the way this conference is playing out. Like, I have no idea how good Indiana is. I have no I- good idea how good Michigan is. I don't even know if Rutgers is like they played with Indiana and that might turn out to be that Rutgers played it actually really well against a team that wins seven games this year. Like it's kind of a weird like it was so simple and so easy to like see what happened after week one that I think like after week two, I'm like back at the like I have no idea what's going on. The only thing I know is Ohio State's good and the rest of the the conference isn't as good. But I don't know. I don't know how big of a gap there is between Indiana and Michigan. Like, that spreads three and a half. Like, what team is better at football this year? And if Indiana wins, then it's just like, what does that mean for the entire Big Ten East? Does that mean that Rutgers is the fourth best team in the Big Ten East, maybe? I don't know. I think Michigan's going to beat Indiana. Indiana beat Penn State in a game that had no business winning. And then last week against Rutgers, it won, I think it was like 37-21, to 21, but it had three turnovers i think in plus territory and scored touchdowns off two of them like indiana is not as good as it record as its record indicates um and i think we find that out this week when they play michigan i cannot believe you're already backtracking on your wonderful prediction of them being a sleeper team like you got to ride that that was like brilliant you know you got to ride that i'm not backtracking on it i think they're gonna i be, before the year i thought that indiana penn state and michigan are all going to end up with the same record Six and two, or four. And How about we do this? How about we do this, Bill? And I think people would be interested because I'm super interested to hear you. And you know, we haven't been texting as much this lately, and I'm kind of sad. But I'm very interested to know, like, rank your Big Ten East teams in order of who how good they are in your mind right now. Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Indiana, Michigan State, Rutgers, Maryland. And I know Rutgers beat Michigan State. Michigan State turned the ball over seven times. That's never going to happen again. I think it's possible that Michigan State is historically bad this year. I don't think they're historically bad, like for their standards. Or yes, I mean they, I had, a three win, they had a three-win season a couple years ago. Um, I think it's going to look like that. Like I'm not sure that Indiana is not better than Michigan, and like I don't know if I'm like overreacting to Week One like I did because I thought M- Michigan would cover the spread against Michigan State. After I don't know, like I I don't know what is more closer to reality: the Michigan team that beat up Minnesota. Or just Minnesota suck now too. Like it, Minnesota it, is awful. I do think though that the results have been a weird merry-go-round of oddness, and it's kind of hard to read who is what right now. I know Minnesota's terrible. He was seven hundred yards offense to Maryland. I'm pretty confident in saying that. 
Um, I know, but then what if Tagovailoa is like the next first round draft pick at quarterback, and like that was his coming out party? It wasn't. Um, <laughs> I agree that it's a weird year, and I think it's very possible that Indiana is better than Michigan. I lean towards Michigan at the moment because there's just some funky stuff if you actually dig into Indiana's results that um, create a little bit of luck. I think, and or not maybe luck's not the right word, but they've they've gotten With some the turnovers. Breaks. They've gotten some breaks that that don't happen. When, when all things are equal, that, that have led to their first win for sure and, and the margin of victory in their second game. So I'm really excited to watch Indiana-Michigan on Saturday. I'm glad that's an afternoon game. Are you like – yeah, you're just tempting people to, to open up their wallets and, and hit Michigan minus three on the road, huh? I think I would hit Michigan minus three on the road, yeah. Yeah. I think that's uh, – yeah, I think that's fair. I don't know. And I also don't know, even if Indiana's better – than they've been in the past there's a difference between like beating penn state and coming back and winning against rutgers but like putting and stringing together win after win after win is tougher too yeah you know to do it three weeks in a row i think you have to you know put that into account and you know i don't know what this means for jim harbaugh and i'm sure we got to get back to ohio state we've got some questions and stuff but if michigan doesn't cover that spread or loses this game like i don't know if this is like it for him and you know i i know that i've been an important game against harbaugh I've written some columns in recruiting saying that I don't think he's getting it done. People view me as an anti-Michigan person, even though I'm absolutely not. I have much respect for the program and think that they could be much better. But I think that what is happening there right now should be clear to everybody now. And it's just reality of it. And if they lose to Indiana and they start one and one and two, I mean, does that do the wheels just fall off there? Like what happened last week was shocking to me. Shocking. Oh, it wasn't shocking to me. That's what they do. They can't handle success. They never have been able yeah, to I mean, under him. 24-point uh, favorite. I mean, that line right. was so wrong. I mean, that was so uh, wrong. It's not. Yeah. The line. The line I would have laid it. I, I picked the lay it. The line create makes makes the optics of it worse. It, it's still the worst loss, I think, of Harbaugh's tenure at Michigan. Um, but I wasn't surprised they lost. Yeah. I don't know. I, I Yeah. It's just crazy to me. Crazy, crazy, crazy. And it's just like now we're talking about a Big Ten East team where you could point, point out the flaws of every single team in their in their in Ohio State side of the conference. Minnesota was supposed to be a dark horse, and their defense couldn't stop a – what is it, a fart in the wind? And then you have uh, Wisconsin, who's supposed to be the best team, who's not even fielding a team right now because the entire team has COVID. And it's just like what team in the – what's the who's the second best team in the Big Ten right now, Penn State? Audrey Snyder and I had this conversation um, – on the big football show on Tuesday, and I settled on Penn State. Yeah, and I think Ohio State blew their doors off, yep. even if the score didn't indicate it. So, you know, I think that's kind of at the point we're at right now. And, you know, I think the next four weeks or six weeks in, in terms of what we think of Ohio State football is more so about secondary storylines, the twos showing up some weaknesses, like getting running back confidence and, you know, all the things that you might want to see before Ohio State ends up playing a, a – manageable upon, I mean what we have to wait till the Michigan game before there's actually an exciting game and even that's not exciting if Indiana so beats, what is it? if Indiana beats Michigan um and I don't know who they play after Michigan but they play Ohio State in three weeks I don't know that could yeah it could be so something. we're gonna try to make that a game no I don't think you try to make it a game but I think you I think you can get some stuff answered or more things answered about what exactly Ohio State's defense is against that team um yeah assuming all their offensive weapons are, are healthy I I, every year, Bill, 
for the most part. And I'm like anti-predicting upset because I just like when it happens, we react to it. I don't like to predict them. This this year, and I don't know if it's COVID. I don't know if it's just the personnel packages that returned or happened to return. But I don't think the gap between Ohio State and the rest of the Big Ten has ever been this big. It feels like it's never been this big. Mm, I think that's probably true. If you look at the the talent composite, I think that's definitely true because there's usually like one other team in the top ten, and there's not now. I know, because but Penn State lost Michael Parsons. Hold the phone here too with me. Like I'm like the composite talent rankings are. Uh, basically the bible that i read before bed every night like i will stand by them until i die um but still bill ohio state has had tough games and have have, you know the michigan states that have gotten in their way uh in terms of their race to a national championship in 13 and 15 you know the star ratings are always lopsided and maybe they're getting even more lopsided now because what ohio state's doing on the recruiting trail is pretty ridiculous but even even so, I, I don't even mean from a talent standpoint. I just mean from like a feeling of what team can play with this team. And it's like sometimes it's because maybe it feels this way because the Penn State game is already done and it's only the second week of the year. And we usually are anticipating the Penn State game at the end of October or November. Um, but I just don't ever recall there ever being a schedule like this where I don't even look at it and think that could be interesting. Like I, I, I think that they're going to win by double digits every game for the rest of the year. Yeah, and maybe so by more I, than 20 every game. I predicted they were going to win every game this year by double digits before the season started. I, I'm right there with you. Um, yeah, they got to start putting up more than some 50 burgers up there, though, if they're going to get to your average. Yeah, I think they will. I think they get up. I think they get over 50 this week. I think they hammer Maryland if they have the chance next week um, and put up like 60 or 70, and then they get back on pace to average 50. But I don't think let's let's knock this out of the way first, and then we'll get to our, our questions from our subscribers. We don't have to do it. We're not going to do an Ohio State first Rutgers game breakdown because I just don't think it's worth it. But would you take the 38? I would lay the 38 um, because I wouldn't want to watch the game rooting. I think it would be more painful to, to take the 38 and watch it. I think it's one of these things where Ohio State's going to be covering the 38 at some point in the game. I just can't. I wouldn't like put a ton of money on it because I don't know if it's going to end that way. Yeah, I think the final score might or the the score in the third quarter could very much be forty five to three, or something like that, and then maybe they get to fifty two to ten, and then Rutgers maybe you know does nineteen laterals in a game in a play and scores a weird touchdown. I think thirty eight is a very tricky number, and I, I think we both anticipated that it would get up to forty two, but I don't think that. I think the Shiano factor is at play here. And, you know, they might try to run it up as much as they can in the first half, then completely take the gas, the pedal up, their foot off the gas, run it a ton in the second half, let C.J. Stroud and Jack Miller play a little bit more than, you know, even we might think and maybe win by 35. You know, I, I, I this is these are really hard because it's not you're not analyzing the game anymore. It's just how much how many points will Ohio State want to score? And yeah. then at that point, when will they take their foot off the gas? And nobody ever really knows the answer to that question. So if I were to play it, I would lay it, but I would not play it big. Yeah, I would I would stay away from it, I think. Um like I, I think it's just it's hard to to get a handle on, like you said, for all for all the reasons you said. I, my my head the score is like fifty two to seventeen like it was in the opener. Um what's that, thirty five? Thirty five, yeah. Yeah. Um which is like great lopsided win, never sweat, and you don't come, don't cover because thirty eight is a big number. Yeah, I just don't know. Like fifty two to <clears throat> ten or seventeen, like it was in week one. That game felt a little like scary at times. Not scary that they were going to lose, but Nebraska was getting some things that they they wanted. 
I just, yeah, I mean, 52 to 10 or 52 to 17 can feel one of two ways, and I think this will be blowout, pedal to the metal, blowout midway through the third quarter. Then the last quarter and a half is just going to be a bunch of grab ass. Yeah, it could be like 45 nothing at halftime and end up 52 And then end up not covering. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, that's where we're at. That's the extent. Do you want to do a score? Do we do a score every week? Because we've been pretty on the money in terms of like if you listen to this podcast for the first two weeks and like took what we said into account um we almost nailed the score together in week one yeah and then last week our com- our combination of context equaled the perfect prediction yeah i'll i'll say i'll say 52 to 10 i i think the the kind of backdoor cover that we're talking about will be in play but it won't happen Yeah, I think fifty-five seventeen, which is thirty-eight on the dot, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right on the nose. Okay, let's get to some questions. <clears throat> we haven't. Uh, we're going to do a nice mailbag here. Get to some Apple five-star review questions, which I've been slacking on. Get a couple of those in the mix too. If you want to uh, submit a question for future episodes, theathletic.com slash four dash six is where you can get subscribed to the athletic, or you can leave us a five-star review on Apple, leave a question there and we'll look through those as well and pick some out. We'll lead off with an Apple question from Pat Denman. It seems to me that the Heisman trophy is Justin Fields to lose agree or disagree. Um, I think he's the heavy favorite. So does that mean agree? I don't know if I'm ready to ship the trophy over to the Woody. Um, yeah, but I, I do think that the way he's playing right now, he's playing in it. You know, we've both been, I don't even know if you still are, Heisman Trophy voters in the past. And whenever yeah. I voted for the trophy, Bill, I never, I wasn't so stats oriented. And everybody that votes for the trophy, I feel like, sits down at the end and compares stats and how many yards did this guy have. And it's just like Ohio State, Clemson, and the, and the teams that are usually competing for this, the Oklahomas, and the, they can usually name their number. And I think that the stats are kind of stupid. I think stats in general are stupid in every facet of life because you can just twist them to make you make yourself right if you want to. I like watching and feeling the aura of a player. And I think what I've seen from Justin Fields, regardless of the stats, is the complete polished version of the quarterback, uh, the perfect quarterback in college football. And I know that Trevor Lawrence is now facing some issues with COVID and is, is missing a, is up to two games and isn't going to get his Heisman moment against Notre Dame. And I think that's all good for the betting odds. But like just in terms of what I've seen from both, I just like would vote for Justin Fields just based on what my eyes would see. And I do that a lot. And I think it kind of ruffles people's feathers. Um, the same way last week during the game, I was I tweeted that he's the best quarterback in Ohio State history. And you can, you know, get into arguments about whether or not he won enough hardware or has played enough games or whether his stats or he scored as much touchdowns. I don't I don't give a shit about that stuff. I just think I look at him play and having consumed Ohio State football my entire life, there's never been a quarterback more impressive than him and, and as good as him physically. He's just the best player I've seen at the position. So to me, if I were the first pick in the NFL draft, I think I would take Fields over Lawrence. And that might be a controversial statement, and I'm sure John Hayes, our producer, is going to like take that out and put it in as the clip that they put on Twitter, but he's the most complete college quarterback possible. He's a great running threat, even though they don't need to use him. And he throws the most beautiful ball I've seen since Troy Smith. <laughs> I mean, is it a stretch to say he's a better thrower or passer than Haskins? No. Like, if we're having this conversation, he's the perfect quarterback specimen. 
certainly. What, what would you change about him? Durability? What would I change? I don't know if I change anything about Justin Fields, but like everything you're saying about him is also true about Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, and I don't cover Trevor Lawrence, and I don't watch. I don't watch every game as intently as I do when I'm watching Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. By all accounts, is probably going to be the number one overall pick, um, but he's probably also going to put up better stats. Uh, Justin Fields, that is, because he's playing more games. So I don't know. These two quarterbacks have been compared side by side to each other since they were in high school. They're both from Georgia. They both participated in the same quarterback camps. They both had similar recruitments. They both could have picked where they wanted to go to school. Um, you know, they faced each other head to head in a game that was decided in the last minute of a football of of a of the game. Um, and now they're going to be compared for the NFL draft, and it's just like the Heisman Trophy added to the list. And I guess Trevor Lawrence has had the edge every single step of the way. So maybe it's just simple to say, give the trophy to Lawrence. But I think that, you know, part of the Heisman Trophy is the story that that person tells. And both of these guys also were proactive in helping the sport exist. So, like, it's almost impossible to pick between the two. You know, I I don't know. Is it his to lose? I guess if COVID and stats get in the way, maybe it is. But, you know, to me, this is what a Heisman Trophy quarterback looks like. Uh, I think it's his to lose. I think he's there. He had his moment last week. He played great against Penn State in a primetime game on the road. Now it's stat accumulation season up until they play Michigan, where I assume he'll have other moments when other people are talking about him. As long as he plays in every single game, it's his to lose. He's the only returning finalist. I think that matters. Heisman voters aren't particularly smart or nuanced. Even if Ari and I like to pretend that we are, there are 900 other people who aren't, or maybe like 850 other people who aren't. How many people vote for the Heisman? Like a thousand? Nine hundred something. It's absurd. Yeah. It's it's yeah. We don't have to have a conversation this week about flaws in voting systems. Um, <laughs> but I think the Heisman Trophy is Justin Fields uh, to lose based off what's happened through the first two weeks, and assuming he gets to play in every game moving forward. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I we I was very hard on Justin Fields from the beginning, and I think part of that was just ignorance and based on like the happenstance of how he arrived at Ohio State. But he has turned into the best version of what I could have possibly imagined. Yeah. Like, I cannot praise him enough. And, like, if you're not an Ohio State fan and you're listening to this podcast, I can understand that you might think all of these Ohio State homer losers just talking about Justin Fields in the perfect way because he's the savior of their favorite team. And, like, that's not what's going on here. What's going on here is is that kid can freaking play and everybody who watches the games knows that he is uh, that way. And, uh I have him in my developmental fantasy league, and I'm just trying to boost up his assets a little bit here. (laughs) I have Trevor Lawrence. I'll trade you for him straight up. Would you? Uh, uh, Yeah, I might. I think I would. That's actually an interesting discussion for the podcast. Like we, (laughs) him and I go back and forth about trades all the time. It's like, would you trade in a developmental fantasy football league? Which quarterback is going to be better in the NFL? I don't know. I probably would stick with landing spot matters too much. I think Lawrence too is probably. The way Justin Fields is probably going to play is going to be more likely to be injured. But, you know, whatever. That's a different discussion. I'm just excited for them both to end up in New York. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Okay, uh, next question from Sean L. He says, I'm not an offensive line expert, but Nicholas petit Frere looks like a beast so far this season. If he keeps this level of play up for the entire year, do you think he enters the draft a year earlier than maybe expected? And if so, would right tackle be a concern in 2021? Um, answer the second part of the question first. No, because you have Parrish Johnson and, and Dewan Jones um, ready to take over as the starting tackles next year if that, that were necessary. So it doesn't become a concern if Nick does leave. I don't think he's going to leave, but he has he is off to a really good start. Usually when guys start for the first time as offensive linemen, um, even if they're older like Nick is, you, you see some struggles, and he's really had none. He hasn't a lot of pressure. I think he's been really powerful in the run game, which was a major point of emphasis for him as he's looked to add weight. Um, had a really good game against a team in Penn State with two good pass rushers. Now, we had help. They had a really good scheme against those guys with play actions and tight end help and, and max protection and all that stuff. But when Nick Petit and Thayer Munford um, both got one-on-one matchups with either Shaka Tony or Jason Owe, they won. So um, they've both been really good. I expected it from Thayer as long as he was healthy. I, I'm a little surprised that Nick Petit looks this good so quickly. Did you think that he was going to have an Isaiah Prince-type year? No, not quite that bad. Isaiah Prince 2016 was pretty damn bad. <laughs> it was I felt bad for I him. didn't mean I didn't mean like have a terrible year, but have a type of year where it's so clearly obvious that he is athletic and super talented in the sense that in a few years he's going to be good but also struggle a lot. The fact that he's gotten through two his first two starts ever without allowing a pressure is an absurd stat to me. I thought we could get to That's this just a sack point. of pressure. Yeah, I thought we could get to this point and think that maybe he was the weak link. And he's not. <laughs> I mean, he's I don't know who the weak link on the offensive line would be. I think that's the strength of their team right now and quarterback. <laughs> and quarterback. Uh, the interior could be better, especially in pass protection. Um, but the tackles have been great so far. And Nick Petit is is on his way, I think, to maybe being a first-rounder. He doesn't have, like, NFL tackle size. Like, he's probably a guard in the NFL. So maybe he won't be a first-rounder. I think he has that kind of talent. But I don't know if he has the body to be an NFL offensive tackle. That makes sense. Wow. He's only six. How far? How far we've come in just two weeks of games, huh? I mean, he didn't get any taller or shorter in the last two weeks. He's he's been six five for a while. Um, he's yeah, long, no, but he's just long, the long. idea that that you know we could be thinking about, hey, is this a one and done type scenario? I think is a is a testament. Oh, to right, the, right. How well yeah, he's played. That, yeah, that scenario is is, is rare. Um, so I wouldn't be too worried about that happening. But he is playing well enough. Also, completely within the realm of reality, though. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Uh, from Christopher C., is Jahan Dotson's explosive performance at all a red flag? Most of his action was near the end of the game, but it was against Sean Wade. Uh, though there are not many elite receiving cores we'll be facing in the future, I'm worried how the fair against Alabama and Clemson's wideouts. What are your thoughts? I'm just going to say this, and this is going to sound really weird. First of all, if all the players on this team that I wouldn't worry about, Sean Wade is probably the guy. Um, you know, and I know that he's had some transition and the position's a little bit different and Jeff Okuda's not on the field anymore and there's a lot of differences to what we saw last year. But listen, guys, I love the fact that you're thinking about the Alabama and Clemson game because it's going to happen. 
what I don't think that you should think is that they're not going to score 35 when they play Ohio State because they right. roll you no matter what. <laughs> and that like, it's like, can Ohio State no score? F- yep. <laughs> yeah, the question isn't can Ohio State's secondary shore up Alabama and, and keep them from scoring 31 points in the national championship game. The question is how much freaking points Ohio State can score to outscore them because that's kind of where we are. I bet you the over-unders in those games, uh, Ohio State-Clemson or Ohio State-Bama, what was the score for the Clemson-Ohio State game last year? Ooh, what was the final? Was it uh, 29-23, I think? Yeah, which is like an absurdly low-scoring game for the offensive firepower on both sides of the ball. And, you know, granted there were some turnovers in the red zone or Ohio State had kicked like seven field goals in the first half. So, like, you know, settling for field goals has a funny way of, of, of doing that. But the over-unders might be 63 points in the playoff games this year. Because oh, yeah. I just think in the, in the world of college football – you're just not going to win a championship with defense anymore, and I think Georgia is the perfect example of that. What did Alabama hang forty five on Georgia? Forty one. Yeah. Ohio State could beat Alabama forty five to forty one. Yeah, it's not like if if the game against Penn State was like Jahan Dotson did whatever he wanted for all four quarters, then I'm concerned. But that's not what happened, um, and that's not I think what would ha- like it's about Alabama and Clemson. You get in those kind of games, it's like. Who gets who gets the turnover? Who creates the disruption defensively? Who steals a possession? Um, and then in the end, whose offense scores more? Like it's a sh- it's a shootout all the way when those teams get on the field. So I think you can can be concerned a little bit about what happened against Penn State, or like want to see them shore some things up. But you're not going to see anything that's going to lead you or should lead you to believe that they're going to slow down Alabama. Mostly Alabama's because I think Alabama's wideouts are better than Clemson's, but even Clemson's offense. Is Jahan Dotson the best skill player outside of Ohio State in the Big Ten? Uh, no, Bateman. 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 Yeah. Yeah. It's Bateman. Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore. Um, yeah. I'm just trying to think, like, will Ohio State face anybody that explosive for the rest of the regular season? Michigan State's got some decent receivers. Yeah. I mean, the biggest play that he made in the game, too, was a penalty. Which I think is kind of funny. It was the yeah. craziest catch ever, and those he are ridiculous give, catches. Yeah, those yeah. are those are ridiculous yeah. I'm not trying catches. to take it away from him, but he was open because he shoved Sean Wade. So, uh, you know, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I is it concerning? I guess mildly. I, I would love to know and see how. And I'm excited to see how the secondary responds, especially after Cameron Brown is now out for the year with a torn ACL. Obviously, that's one of the two position groups now that might be triggering uh, fear. Uh, along with the running backs but I think you just have to get into the mind frame that in the highest level of college football in 2020 your team better score 40 or you're gonna lose yeah it's an Achilles injury for Cameron Brown oh sorry BT dubs um next question from Donald JJJJ Trump on Apple Will Ryan Day end up with more college championships than Urban Meyer do we still feel like Day is cashing in on an empire created by Urban or as time goes on does Day seem to be proving himself more and more? That's a really good question because I do think that he's cashing in on Urban Meyer um, and what he built, but that doesn't mean that what was built can't be sustained for a very long period of time. And I don't know what your opinion is on this, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to hear what you have to say, but is it possible? Is there a certain cutoff mark in your mind of year five, this is 100% him? Or do you think Urban Meyer's uh, construction of that program is a lifelong legacy? It's a lifelong like, legacy. Think, I agree. Yeah. So I think that once you get the the boat rowed, huh? Look at me, Landis. 
<laughs> Once the car is moving, it's easier to keep it moving. I think the hardest thing in Urban Meyer's brilliance is building a program. Um, but I think Ryan Day, absolutely, with the way his personality is, his understanding of how to run this program, the success that he's had for now going on two years, and all the things that come along with being the leader of this program are completely in line with a long-term success rate. And I do think that with the way he coaches this team and his acumen in, in the X's and O's and his ability to hire assistants and, you know, of course, recruiting has been outrageously good. I have no doubt in my mind that he's going to continue the, the sustained success. Is he going to win more than three national championships? I mean, I guess it depends on how long you envision him being the head coach at Ohio State or if he's going to go replace Bill Belichick as the Patriots coach in six years. You know, it's kind of a hard thing to answer, but, like, my gut feeling right now would be under because it's just so hard to do, and three is a lot. But I definitely think he's going to win one in the next three years. At some, I think he's going to win it this year. Um, and I don't know how good the team is going to be next year when you have to replace Justin Fields. and you know. But we play that game all the time with Ohio State. They always find a way to do it. And, and the classes that they're about to sign, you know, even the 2022 class is off to an outrageous start. So, you know, I, I think he's absolutely going to win one and maybe two I would, like, bet on. But I just don't know how long I expect him to be the coach. I don't think he's going to win more than Urban because I don't think he's going to be long. He's not going to be around long enough to win four. I think he'll be in the NFL before he'd even have the opportunity to do, do that. I think he has the capability and the acumen to win multiple championships at Ohio State over the next uh, decade. Um, and I do think he will eventually be an NFL head coach, but not for not for a while. Um, but because of that, I, getting like getting the four in any circumstance is absurd, but because I think that's, that's in his future, it makes it more difficult. Um but I mean, how many mean, did Saban win in a 10-year period? Did he win four in 10 years? He won, yeah, I think so. He won, Saban won like four in seven years, I think. I think that that is the best coach to ever walk a college sideline. And uh, that's what Ryan Day would probably have to do in a 10-year period in order to, to take that over, so I'm under. I want to see Saban won one, two, three. He's won five at Bama, and he did it in eight years. That's f- or nine years. Sorry, nine years. Yeah, well, that's absurd. Yeah, like that's not that's never going to happen again. Not if they the, win it this year. If Alabama, like Alabama, can win this year, but I'm like, there's there was never like a, like Urban had Florida. Up there when Saban was first getting Alabama going, um, but it was like kind of right before, and like er, Saban basically went from like 2008 to 2016 with like no other program that could touch his, um, and now like Ohio State and Clemson are on that level, same level I think as him in terms of program operating at peak capacity. Yeah, I mean part of the reason too is that some of those championships came before the playoff era. And I think it's much easier to win a national championship in 2010 than it is now. Um, But the other thing, too, that I'm curious about um, is the fact that in my lifetime, and maybe in the history of the sport, I don't think there's ever been such a big gap between the top three teams in college football and the rest of the sport. And, like, if it's Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson recruiting this way and nobody else is touching them in the foreseeable future, it doesn't seem like they are outside of Georgia and LSU, which kind of makes it a little bit more tough for Bama to get there at the end because they're all in their conference. But from at least an Ohio State-Clemson standpoint, those two teams are positioned to dominate their conference for the foreseeable future. 
And if you think that these three teams going to the uh, college football playoff seven out of the next eight years, all of them, that is 21 berths in the playoff cumulatively, then I think it is possible that one of those teams could rattle off three or five in an eight-year period. Because it's the same four teams that are going to be going to the playoff for the next five years. And until something changes, then I, I mean, it's possible that if they're on that stage that it's possible to do. Now, I understand that it's harder to get to that stage. But tell me right now with the trajectory of the ACC, which freaking team is going to push Clemson another playoff spot every year? I mean, Oklahoma walked into the playoff three years in a row because nobody in their conference is good. Yeah, they're going to make the playoff every year. I think it's just like getting there. You have to play two elite teams more often than not and winning, beating two elite teams back-to-back is tough. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. But if the pool is also sh- uh, smaller, then we're talking about you know a lot of there are more results. teams. In, I think there are more teams in college football capable of winning a national championship than there were ten years ago. You do? Yeah, I'd make the the argument that it's not. I think it would, I think it's drastically less because I think in order to get to the championship back then in 2010, you could have sideskipped somebody on your schedule. You know, Wisconsin could have made it to the national championship as an undefeated team in 2010 and never played Ohio State. Yeah, you can like, get like, there. You yeah. can get there. I agree with that, but you weren't beating Alabama. I understand that. So why would you think that more teams could win it now? I think there are more teams. They're going to have to capable. win. More teams that are built. I'm not, I'm not saying – I'm not talking about path. I'm talking about, like, talent, roster, makeup, coaching. I think there are more teams that are built to win national championships now than there were back then. I don't think there's a team in college football that could beat Alabama and Clemson back-to-back outside of Ohio State. Uh, if Georgia ever got a quarterback, they could. Yeah, I know, but I think that the the I think the amount of teams who could f- in this current system win a national championship right now is six. Yeah, I think that's five more than you would have said a decade ago. Really? In the current system, there was much more parity in the results of who, like Florida State was winning them, and. Ohio State was I'm getting there. I'm talking about when Nick Saban started Alabama's run. That's that's the. I'm not talking about the beginning of the BCS era. I'm talking about when Nick Saban started his dynasty at Alabama ten years ago, and then owned the sport for a decade. There's only one team you ever considered could actually win the national championship, and then they won it five okay. times. I thought you meant like at the beginning of the BCS era. No, and like like the way this. I'm just trying to make a point, Bill, that the the sport has changed so drastically, and the power shift to the top has been so apparent. That right now, if there's five or six teams in the entire sport that can win a national championship, it's the reason why the same results are happening over and over again. Ohio State's path of Big Ten championship, Clemson, Alabama to win a national championship, or Big Ten championship, Alabama, Oregon, like all those, I mean, that's really, really tough to do. And I understand that your point is that way, but in terms of how many teams are actually built to win one, I mean, it's only five or six. And like there, I think that there's three teams at the top, there's two or three teams in the middle that kind of are, are nipping at the third-place team's heels but aren't quite there. And I think there's like 20 teams of pretty good, like the Penn States and the Michigans, that are all behind them. And the gap between the top three and those middle 10, 15 teams that are in that middle tier is so large, it's like laughable. And I wish that – and then part of the reason why I like covering recruiting so much is because I like to see if there's ever a chance for any of these teams to do it. And like LSU is – uh, was kind of a people will think as a one hit wonder now because Burrow's gone, but LSU is recruiting a crazy class right now. Oregon has a crazy class right now, and I'm like starting to see a little bit more. There's like six or seven teams in the 2021 class that are actually recruiting well enough to maybe if they could sustain those results for five or six years, change things. But right now, the sport 
is kind of boring <laughs> because there's only three teams that can do it. Now, if you're listening to this podcast, it's great. But put yourself in the position of everybody else in the sport trying to watch this game. It's the same four or five, four or five teams all the time. I wasn't trying to say an F-bomb. I saw the smirk there. It was a uh, No, I wasn't. Five. We just got off on our major tangent. We got more questions to get to. Okay. Um, and uh, the second part addressing uh, the question about Ryan Day, I think it's possible – that Urban's presence always lingers here, but at the same time, Ryan Day can kind of separate himself as his own man because it's very easy for this job, I think, to be too big for a lot of people, and it's not too big for him. And I think that says a lot about him. Yep. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Um, Nate W. What do you guys look forward to slash find interesting when Ohio State is starting a sequence of games against overmatched opponents? Watching backup quarterbacks play. Yep, watching the backup quarterbacks play, watching the young receivers play. Um, I would like Skills. to see. I would like to see. Like, it's not going to mean a ton, and I, I, I don't intend on overreacting to it if it slash when it happens. But I would like to see like some clarity with running back, and also one of these guys or both of them for even better for Ohio State's purposes, like find a little bit of a rhythm because um, I still don't think that really exists yet with with either running back. Yep. All right, here we go. Hard-hitting question from Patrick T. What's the best fast food sandwich shop? Shop. I'm thinking something along the lines of Subway or Jimmy John's. Does the Bellas count? Yeah, that would count. I think the Bellas is it's super expensive, and as much as, um, and I'm just doing Columbus, Ohio. Like, is the Bellas a national chain? Because I know they're uh, in Northern Ohio. I think I've seen. Yeah, they're they're outside of Ohio. Okay, well, the Bellas is. Higher class, like I think if you get a cheesesteak there and, and chips, it's 15 bucks. But I think that their sandwich, the, the best fast food-ish sandwich that you can get in Columbus, Ohio is at the Bellas, in my opinion. Hmm. I can tell you the answer is definitely not Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's is awful. Jersey Mike's sucks. I got a cheesesteak there, dude, like six months ago, and I threw that that piece of shit in the trash. <laughs> and like I, like I would eat almost anything. I threw it away. It was so terrible. Yes, I've, I think I've been there twice. I went once, and it was awful. I was like, all right, I go back a second time, give them a second shot, and it was just as bad, if not worse, the second time. Um, Their bread is terrible. That's the no problem. no redeeming qualities about Jersey Mike's. Um, I actually don't mind Subway like for what it is. Um, I like it, too. And I ate it a shit ton when I was in college because there was one across the street from the student newspaper. I was there every day for three years. Um, I don't love Jimmy John's. It's fine. I don't think it's bad. It's just it, it, I think they're – sandwiches could be a little more substantial um my answer is probably debella's as well um firehouse subs is not bad i don't know if debella's belongs in the same sentence though like that i feel like i'm kind of cheating a little bit because debella's is a little bit higher higher on the rung of of expense and, and experience in a subway or a, or a jimmy john's would be yeah. i think jimmy john's has the best fast food sandwich bread and I know this is going to sound funny, and I just would be remiss if I didn't say it, but I think Blimpy is really good. I've never had and, it. And it used to be everywhere. And, like, now it's in random places. 
And whenever I see one, I get it because their turkey is delicious. And I think it's like a really solid sandwich. And I prefer it to Subway. But I also love Subway for what it is, too. Like, it is. Yeah. Nice Italian urban cheese bread. I'm all about that. Yeah, yeah. If we're removing if we're removing the Bellas from the conversation, I think I'd pick Subway. But if we can include the Bellas, I'd pick the Bellas. Fair enough. Will W. Uh, asked, he says, I love your bowl predictions before the Nebraska game. That could be summed up as extremely bullish. Talking about my preseason predictions, which are true. I was a huge homer. Um, he says, let's look at the other side of the coin. If the season somehow unravels for Ohio State, what does that look like? And he said, let's avoid the obvious of something like an injury or a player missing three games due to COVID. I think it looks like um, what, what Ohio State's – it's on the defensive side of the ball, of course. Um, what Ohio State's defense did against Penn State was totally make Penn State play with a hand behind its, tied behind its back. It just eliminated any threat of the run game. Penn State couldn't run the ball, and it's not good enough to counter with a dynamic passing game to beat Ohio State or at least score enough um, to keep up with Ohio State, and I think teams like Alabama and Clemson would be. So um, – it's just a diff, more difficult matchup for Ohio State. But I, like, I don't think it unravels at any point in the Big Ten season. But it's something like that. Like you get into a matchup against a highly potent offense that if you make them play with the hand behind, behind, tied behind their back, um, they're fully capable of doing that and, and wouldn't like break a sweat just throwing the ball over you or vice versa. So, But short of that, I don't think it happens. I don't. There's, not, there's no deficiencies in this team that make me think like, oh, something's going to happen. They're going to get tripped up in the Big Ten season. The only way it's, it's COVID. I don't think I think it's impossible. Yeah, yeah. And if he's removing those, if he's removing injuries and and players being out for three games due to COVID from the equation, then then I'm not really sure what it is. Yeah, I mean, I just think the answer is it can't happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would ha- like for them to lose like games and completely unravel. You know, maybe if a crazy upset happens or something, you know, it's college football stuff happens. But for it to unravel, that to me means three, four, five losses. Like it physically can't happen. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Tom G. I thought this was an interesting question. And, like, this is, again, goes back to some of the stuff we were talking about on the last podcast. Just, like, the the tone at the moment is a little confounding to me. Do you have any worries that maybe Kerry Combs wasn't the right hire to run Ohio State's defense? I'm starting to hear scheme questions again. Like, for example, they're playing too much man and may not have the personnel for it. Is this season going to be another case of national championship level talent thwarted by incompetent coaching? Like 2013, 2015, 2016, and 2018. That is a, there is there's a lot in that question <laughs> for a team that's two and zero and I think has played pretty well in both games. Somebody somebody tweeted this at us and I'm sure you saw it, but I think that you could make the argument that Ohio State, despite the fact that it's been one of the winningest programs of the last 15 20 years, is also the most underachieving, and they've had really good teams that haven't gotten there for a variety of reasons. You know, I think Urban had three or four teams that might have been able to make some noise in the playoff that never even got there because of weird upsets or, or dumb shit that happened along the way. And I think that that has kind of scarred the fan base. Yeah. And I think that they're afraid that it's just going to be – and he mentioned it in, in the sentence, in his question. Is this going to be another case of national championship-level talent thwarted? And it's like, for as much talent as Ohio State has had on this team, the fact that they've only won one national championship dating back to 2014 is kind of staggering to me. And, you know, some of their teams in, in like, 16 and 17 even maybe might not have been quite good enough. Um, But for the most part, they've had teams that were competitive enough, especially in 15. So, 
you know, I'm not going to go down that road. I think that, you know, for a team that hasn't even sweated potentially losing, that's kind of a crazy question. And no offense, like, because I understand where he's coming from. And, you know, seeing Dotson score or, you know, getting Penn State up and down the field a few times, but it's just like, man, I was trying to explain this to somebody else, just like Clemson was losing by 18 to BC and Alabama gave up almost 50 points to Ole Miss. Like, things happen. So they played man against Nebraska and and got beat with that a little bit with the quarterback run game. Then I thought they countered and kind of settled in a little bit. I thought their plan against Penn State was great. So like this question is Combs the right man for the job like coming off of their defensive performance against Penn State is a little puzzling to me. Um, I, I don't have an answer to the question yet and I don't think anybody should have an answer to this question yet but what I've seen through two games like there, I, haven't, I have not seen anything that's given me pause about whether or not Kerry Combs can do this job um, and I really like I have a story going up on the athletic on Thursday of like what Kerry Combs has added to the Ohio State defense and I think you know it's nothing he's not reinventing the wheel he's tweaking some things I think some of the stuff they're doing with pressure is, is interesting and especially when you're living in a world without a Bosa or a Chase Young so and it's not just him it's everyone on the staff working collaboratively but the idea that we'd be asking like is he the right guy for the job right now makes zero sense to me like I don't I don't get that um so I don't have a good answer for it because I don't think you could responsibly have a good answer for it. I understand the sentiment at the end where you're always worried about Ohio State coming up short um, and feel free to throw this back in my face if they get outscored by Clemson in the playoff and that's the reason they lose. But why you'd be there at this point, I have no idea. Yeah. Happier question. Well, negativity is getting me down a little bit. It's a weird week, weird week. Aaron H, top five fast food milkshakes or ice cream items. I got a f- I got my five. You got a five? I, I didn't do a five because I don't really eat ice cream. Okay, I, mean, I can do a five. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I've... I'll go first. Okay. Do you want, you want all five of mine or do you want to alternate? You okay. go all five first while I formulate it. And you frame your, your thoughts. Okay, yeah, I'll number, frame it while you're doing it. Number five for me was the McDonald's vanilla cone because, you know, it's at the flat... It's It's... It's not the flashiest dessert by any stretch. Um, and there are times where you can have it where maybe the taste is off a little bit. But there are also times when you get a McDonald's vanilla cone on, on a nice hot day in the summer and it, and it, it hits just right. Um, and it's a classic. So that's number five for me. Number four is a McFlurry, whatever you choose. I like M&M's in mine. Uh, number three is a Blizzard. Again, whichever you choose. I like Reese's in mine. Uh, number two is a Chocolate Frosty from Wendy's. Miss me with the Vanilla Frosty. If you eat the Vanilla Frosty, I don't want to talk to you. Number one is the Chick-fil-A cookies and cream milkshake. Wow. Um, one thing I wanted to say that I'm kind of surprised at is you didn't mention cookout at all, and I had a milkshake there, and I'm not a milkshake person, and it was delicious. I never had it. That's why I didn't say it. Oh, you didn't? No. Wow. I was like, I thought that was like the whole thing about that place. Yeah, I, miss, I think I said this before. I went there, and I totally misordered it was 2 o'clock in the morning after a basketball game in North Carolina. I was out of my element. So, okay. Well, I'm going to do mine now. Um, I think because I'm like Googling this for a little bit, but my number one, I'm going to go one and down, okay? Yep. Number one is the DQ Blizzard. I mean, that's the whole reason why the place is open. I mean, and it's delicious. And I always get the cookie dough one. And one of the best moments of my life was when I was living in Ohio and I had a friend over 
Landis personally delivered some blizzards to our house because he used to live right next to a Dairy Queen, and that might have been the best day of my life. That I was mean, the nicest I've ever been to anybody. I cannot believe, like, what got into you there? Well, you left out the part where, like, you guys have, like, begged me to do it. <laughs> I know, but, like, I feel like begging you to do something makes you less likely to do it. I think I probably would not have done it if Kyle wasn't there, your cousin. Yeah. Um, so then the other thing, my number two is kind of a weird one, but I don't know if you've ever gotten this, but at Steak and Shake, they have, like, this Oreo ice cream sandwich where the ice cream is in the middle and there's, like, Oreo on the outside. That thing is delicious. Yeah. Number three is a McFlurry. Um, and I always get um, extra Oreo in that McFlurry because, you know, you got to let it swim a little bit. Number mm-hmm. four is the Peanut Buster Parfait from Dairy Queen. Nice. I really, really like the peanuts in there. And then number five is also the classic cone because you have to have it on there. Yeah. Yeah. Tip of the cat. I don't like uh, – I don't eat peanuts or really nuts of any variety, so I didn't put the Peanut Buster Parfait, parf- parfait in there. Yeah. Thought about a dilly bar though. I don't think I've had a dilly bar since I was five, so I, I can't remember. It's also kind of a classic nod, but uh, yeah. Have you had the, the Chick Fil A cookies and cream milkshake? I don't think that I have. No. Really good. I don't. I don't order ice cream at fast food places all that often. I always get McFlurries for some reason because they're cheap, but um, I never spend like six bucks or five bucks on these shakes along with my meal. I just add extra nuggets. Yeah, that's what I usually <laughs> do too. If I get the the cookies and cream from chick-fil-a like i'm just pulling through only to get that for the most part every now and then i'll toss it in with a number two yeah i don't know that i've ever gone through a fast food line just for ice cream except dairy queen i've gone except for dairy Dairy queen Queen. yeah Yeah. all right two more questions sam f what are we going to do about the kicking game one by 40 the next four weeks and not care (laughs) okay um (laughs) i am i am curious ryan day this week said that blake hallbeal um it's like day to day. I think it's possible he doesn't play against Rutgers. I would like to see Jake Seibert get some chances. The freshman uh, from Cincinnati who didn't travel to Penn State, which is why he wasn't part of the solution when, when Blake Hallbill did get hurt. But um, what they're going to do about the kicking game in the short term is just win all their games by 30 points and not worry about it. Um, yep. But it does matter. It won't matter come championship winning season. I don't, I don't want to belittle it, but I don't think it matters right now. Do we just – Do we just you know, suggest sitting him for the next month so that he's 100%. Because I remember when Sean Nuremberger got injured, that injury was something that lasted for like a year. Unless like his like whole career. <laughs> no, his whole career. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, like, if it's groin or something. Like, it seemed like he pulled his groin or something. So, um, you know, those types of in- injuries are, like, very uh, aggravatable, if that's a word. I don't even know if they need a – if Ohio State didn't have a kicker on their roster for the next four weeks, it wouldn't matter. So I would just, like, err on the side of caution there as much as you can and then get him back when he's ready you know i like how before the year uh you would hear things like after penn state should ohio state just shut justin fields down until the michigan game and now we're having that conversation about the kicker yeah well <laughs> you know you can win or lose a game in the playoff because of your kicker so That's you know got to get him ready it's true all right last question uh from jason w asking about the 2021 ohio state recruiting class which of those recruits has the best chance or best chances, if you want to say multiple guys, to get significant playing time as a true freshman, and do any of them become starters in their first year? Do you have your answer already locked and loaded on this one? I think the only one has a chance of being a starter is Trevion Henderson. Jack Sawyer, maybe? Um, He definitely has a chance to play. But, like, Zach Harrison will be back. I think Tyreek Smith will be back. Um, Yeah, maybe. 
Maybe. I guess I, I guess he has a reasonable chance of being a starter too. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know exactly. Like if there's like a weird um, early departure in the NFL and they reshuffle things around a little bit. And I mean, I guess Paris Johnson's waiting on there, but Donovan Jackson is really, really good too. I don't know if they ever if they're going to maybe maybe it's not it's not sometimes it's just not a case of how good the player is and it's much more about need at the position and maybe offensive line's a bad example of it but that kid's pretty solid. I think I've said this before on here, but somebody told me who would know and whose opinion I value on this that Donovan Jackson is the best offensive lineman in high school football, regardless of class, regardless of position. Um, and I think he can play anywhere on the offensive line, but if you look at what they have coming back. Um, I don't think they'll need him per se. I guess it's possible he could sneak his way and jump a couple guys on the interior and start a guard next year. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah. Like your center's Harry Miller, your tackles are Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones, Nick Petit, two of those three. Um and then it's like Matthew Jones, Enikmahi, Ryan Jacoby. I could see Donovan Jackson coming in and maybe maybe swiping a job out from under one of those guys. Yeah. You know, it's it's a tough question to answer because we don't know what the depth chart looks like. So I mean the obvious answers are the three highest rated players in the class and Henderson is at a position where they'll have great need. So um, Henderson is the clear cut answer, but I think that it's possible that if Sawyer Sawyer is Bosa ish, he'll at least be a starter in the sense of a rotation. And then Jackson is just good enough to at least consider as part of an answer to this question. And I guess on top of that, I'll say they they're thin at tackle. Now they will be thinner at tackle next year because Tommy Togia is going to be in the NFL and Haskell Garrett is a senior. He might play his way there too and not take the extra year that's been allotted to him. So if they're thin again at tackle next year, one, I think Mike Hall is really talented and, and not talked about enough as a, as a potential three technique. But two, if they get JT Tuomaloa out of Washington, um, he would be in a very good position to, if not start, definitely be part of the rotation as a true freshman next year. Alabama's leading for JT Tuomaloa. You heard you it here joke? first from Ari Wasserman. <laughs> Did you get the he's joke all, I'm making? Yeah, he's got all he's got all the scoop <laughs> on the five star recruit out in Seattle who talks to nobody. The scoop, um, Alabama, Alabama's in the lead. Yeah, he's not in the lead. Let's, let's got the scoop. Before we get angry, before we get angry on the internet, let's make sure we're reading things first, okay, folks? Yeah, yeah. Please, please. just for my sake, I've been through the ringer online and it's <laughs> the just guy like gets enough shit on Twitter. I get enough shit. <laughs> Just like don't take things that I didn't say and then attack me on message boards. Um, but I am the worst Ohio State reporter. So, you know, it well, is what it is. If we want to have that discussion, we have five minutes left in the, in the yeah. podcast. Yeah. All right. Just, just cut it and put it out of my misery. <laughs> I can lay out the reasons. <laughs> uh, I can lay out arguments for and against that. Yeah. Number one is you've never bought a blizzard to my house. I would right now if I were there. I don't doubt Plus, it. you never want me at your house. So. That's true. <laughs> I like my solitude. That's true. Okay, uh, we'll wrap up there. Thank you, everybody, for the questions. Again, subscribe to The Athletic, theathletic.com, slash 4-6. Get you signed up. Leave a five-star review on Apple. Leave a questionnaire. We'll answer those. Ohio State versus Rutgers. Saturday night, 730, Big Ten Network. Uh, I will be there. Can't wait to catch the fever that is an Ohio State versus Rutgers game in an empty football stadium. And we'll be back after that game to talk with you guys. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you then. (laughs) 